Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we are talking about Helios Flight 522. Thanks for listening. Hello, Mariah. Hi, Casey. How are you? I'm good. Pacing like I shouldn't. That's fine. I'm going to go sit down in my spot. Okay. I mean, you can pace. I I positive I will start to pace, so it's better okay. if I start not pacing. Got you, got you, better. got you. What do you What do you think, listeners? <laughs> Is it better if I don't pace? Yes, please tell us. Yes, please tell us. I think it's fine. We want to hear from you, especially yeah. if you think it's fine. <laughs> Only love to if you hear. hear it's fine. <laughs> We love to hear that we're fine. Being fine <laughs> is the best. That's all we're aiming for. If you have any critiques, email them and or just write them in an email and then delete the email. Do not send them <laughs> <No>. in. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Truly. Send but also, in. don't be mean to us. Don't be mean. We but love you. can you. send in critiques. Just yeah. don't be mean. Yeah. We love you. Mm-hmm. So um, today we are talking about Helios Flight 552. Okay. So Helios uh, Flight 552, Helios um, Airlines, Helios Air, Air, I'm not sure, Helios, um, I'm not sure because they only were in business for like um, four years, I think. So um, this flight uh, took place in 2005. Um, Helios is one of the, or was one of those airlines that kind of popped up after um, 9-11, so um obviously the aviation industry was devastated by right. 9/11 and um in that chaos a lot yeah. of uh little kind of uh, like puddle jumper airlines popped up in Europe. Mm, so okay. like Ryanair I think is still flying Wizz Air there's a lot that are still going now and they kind of tend to like flare up and there's a new airline and then it you know vanishes in the night and strands right. your passengers all over the world so um, no. yeah <laughs> yeah that happened pretty recently I think with Wow Wow was a pop-up Icelandic airline I believe and they just vanished in the night no more Wow they don't exist what? anymore yeah. when when did that happen um, two years ago, maybe when I was working at JFK. Was, okay. Was that why flights to Iceland were like a hundred dollars? Do you remember that? Yeah, that was wow. It, that, and they're done. They're a toast. I don't even know. Oh if they God, we missed our chance. <laughs> well, there is. So Iceland air is, is pretty affordable, thankfully. And a lot of other carriers, probably part of the reason why wow went under, I don't know anything about their history or, or anything, but I'm like Delta, I think American, a lot of other airlines started to uh, fly there. So there was a whole thing with Iceland where Iceland has like 300,000 people or so, I believe, on the whole, you know, in the whole country. And Mm -hmm. they used to have a law that a lot of countries have where you like only the national airline can fly. And if this is all wrong. My apologies. <laughs> this, is the, this is the understanding I'm functioning with, right? It sounds true. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, Iceland Air started to um, do this thing where they would have like a super cheap flight from between the U.S. and Europe. Mm. And what they would encourage you to do, because you um, have to connect in Reykjavik in Iceland, mm-hmm. and they would encourage you to have your layover be like four or five days. 
Oh, okay. So that's what started the explosion of um, tourism to Iceland. That was and a really good idea. Such a good idea. Such a good idea because you're right there in the middle. Right. Right there in the middle. Yeah. And um, then, you know, people started to become more interested in Iceland. And so um, they started letting, in my, to my understanding, they started letting other airlines operate out of there. Mm, okay. And WOW was like, let's get in on that. And um, now they are not in on no, anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. They probably wouldn't have survived 2020. So No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I, almost certainly not. I actually think about that with Iceland. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think a lot about how it's this, you know, remote island nation that with 300,000 people on it. And then for like three summers, there were literally a, a million tourists there. Uh, like oh e- each year and i just think about how bizarre that would feel yeah <laughs> as an icelandic person an icelander icelandic human and right then corona happened and so now it's probably nice and quiet again right i do kind of wonder if they if that's like way overwhelming because i mean think about it like that must be pretty exhausting it's unfathomable i mean because really you know, you and I have both been to places that don't see a lot of tourists, right? Don't see a lot of people who, right. you know, a lot of Americans or anything like that. And it's unobtrusive, right? And so it's exciting, you know, like, oh, you know, Americans or, you know, tell me about, you know, this or that or um, <laughs> Johnny Carson, right. <laughs> you know, just different, like whatever, you know, the point of um, wherever they know or imagine America to be like. And I just right. think about how then... You know, there's just, again, literally millions of tourists all the time. Right. Yeah. It's bizarre. That is. No, it really is. Yeah. We should interview an Icelandic person. We should. And we should go there when we can. Oh, I would. Yeah. Brian and I. I would love that. Yeah. Oh, uh, we stopped over there. We had a layover on Icelandic air, but it was only 13 hours. And we had planned to like hang out and do some stuff with that time yeah but um it was crazy expensive for for that idea so like renting a car for such a short period of time or taking a bus or we didn't know what the hitchhiking situation was right so we just camped out at the airport yeah and that's probably probably a good call yeah (laughs) they wouldn't let us sleep there was like a no sleeping rule it was a time what it was a time yeah at the airport some airports have rules like that um, interesting yeah but you can't can't stop me from sleeping if my body no falls like asleep. literally though <laughs> yeah but like how do they enforce it they would wake you up they would come around and, yeah 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 Iceland come and on again my guess I do not know this I have no reason to think this but in my heart I believe that it's because they're annoyed by the tourists <laughs> like, like no no sleeping yeah <laughs> like, we brought you here to spend money here and like to you know, increase our tourism. Right. Stop sleeping. Uh, go spend money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The flight we're talking about today. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that. Helios five five two. So um, in two thousand five, uh, Helios had four planes. Right. Four planes total yep total and um three of them were including the aircraft involved in today's story were 737s again actually the same plane that um that carlos 
handled like a champion. Beloved one-eyed Carlos. <laughs> oh, bless us. May live forever. <sighs> um, and there was another one that was, I think, in A320, A319. Okay. Um, basically, they it had leased them. They didn't own them. They're relatively new, but not super new aircraft. Um, they're painted with, you know, the Helios thing, um, but it's really small. It's a Cypriot airline. So okay. it flies um, out of Cyprus. Um, one of the pilots, the captain, is a German pilot who is working a um, contract, right? So they hired him just on a contract basis for the summer. So gotcha. they are, you know, doing a ton of flights all the time. They only have four aircraft, which means that they're trying to keep them in the air all the time. That takes a lot of pilots, right? They're trying to, you know, make money while they can. And um, the pilot is, uh, his name is Hans Jorgen. So Hans Jorgen, he's 54 years old. Um, He has been flying for 35 years, including flying for Interflu, the East German airline. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's an East German uh, guy from way back back in the USSR okay. so yeah okay um so he's he has 16,000 um flight hours he's you know thoroughly you know thoroughly experienced not not 16,000 16,000 flight hours so like you know he's the captain he's thoroughly experienced sure. he flew okay. Soviet planes so right you know he's got to be good <laughs> yes um I wait though yeah. really quick please didn't Carlos have like 300,000 he had no, no. He, so he had thirteen or almost fourteen thousand at twenty nine. Okay, okay, at, okay. At twenty nine, okay. yeah. So I see. for his I age, see. he was just so so experienced. Got you. And this guy is perfectly perfectly experienced, but not as yeah. experienced um, for the number That's... of years he's been flying. Right. Okay. 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 Um, the co-pilot is Cypriot. Um, he has uh, 7,500 flight hours. He's 51. Um, his name is Pampos. And there's no other pilots on board. Um, there are 175 passengers, two pilots, and wait, maybe 115. That's right. So there's 115 passengers on board, two pilots for uh, cabin crew. Okay. So, on uh, August... It's a pretty big plane. Yeah, I mean, considering It is, is, yeah. It's a plane that I think, depending on the configuration, because, like, every um, airline will uh, design the seats differently and maybe some things... I I imagine that this airline didn't have multiple classes, right? Because it's, you know, they're just doing quick shots all over Europe. Right, um, right. For low cost. So, it's probably all one class, Mm -hmm. which means you obviously fit a lot more... Um, seats in the plane right so um, the plane you know it's not totally full Um, with 115 people there's probably you know some seats but it's pretty full yeah Um, so this happened on August 15th 2005 okay on August 14th 2005 um, the plane arrived from the UK to uh, Cyprus, right? So the night before it arrived in Cyprus. And as that flight was coming in, um, they, you know, had some like weird information about the door. They um, 
when they arrived, the door was frozen, right? And so they um, mm-hmm. asked maintenance to take a look at it, right? So maintenance takes a look at it, um, fixes it, runs a um, pressurization test where they, um, you know, pressurize the cabin um, while still on the ground, make sure it's mm-hmm. airtight, you know, finish that up, mm-hmm. um, right. fix it up, ready to go. Um, and then the next morning, Hans Jurgen and Pompos and all of the passengers and cabin crew get on the plane and um, take off, right? So at 9.07 on uh, August 15th, 2005, the plane takes off. Um, at 9.12, right, as they're ascending through... Uh, there were some mixed reports on this, which surprised me. Um, some people said around like 8,800 feet. Some people said at 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet makes more sense to me okay. um, based on what's going to happen. Um, but I'm sure somebody out there knows. Um, yeah. But as they're ascending and they're in the 10,000 feet um, in the area of that, um, they get a... Uh, tone like a tone and the oh, no. they recognize the alarm as the takeoff configuration warning um, what a takeoff configuration mm-hmm. warning basically if you are um, preparing for takeoff if you've started a takeoff role and your plane isn't um, configured properly so if your like stabilizer isn't configured properly if your flaps aren't configured properly this warning says like hey 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 stop stop don't don't take off because you the plane's not set up to take off right so and that's supposed to happen before you take off exactly right right so this warning was off and they don't understand what it could possibly mean at you know ten thousand feet right so they're trying to figure it out. Um, they're having some trouble communicating. Um, and it, that was how it was always described. And I don't know if um, it, I haven't found an actual transcript of um, the CVR. There are some, um, how can I say this? There are like examples and like some of the lines from the CVR are printed. Mm-hmm. So were the, like the pilots were having trouble communicating to each other like aircraft control, to one or? another the two of them between the two oh. of them they're having a tough time communicating i mean it's not it's not a huge mess it's just that yeah there's some you know clarification needed or they're they're just having a hard time understanding each other was it like a language barrier or like i think that might contribute to the... it okay. um but the other alarm that goes off is, or not uh, an alarm but an, a light that gets illuminated is mm. the um, like air conditioning light okay and right and so they're just like what is going on <laughs> and <laughs> so at, that happens at 9 12 at 9 14 they call ATC um, at the same time the uh, oxygen masks drop in the cabin oh my god in the passenger cabin so the masks drop in the cabin, um, but there aren't masks that drop in the cockpit. So they have um, their oxygen is um, more portable, right? And right. it's something that they apply themselves. It's something. It's actually something they check before they board every day to make sure. Um, for every uh, every time they're starting on a new aircraft, they check the oxygen, make sure it works. And did the pilots know that the masks had dropped in the cabin? No. Oh. So there's nothing in the cockpit that um, alerted them to the fact that 
um, the masks had dropped because it's an automated process, right? Gotcha. The plane recognizes that, um, as is the case here, that the plane isn't pressurized. Okay. So um, they call ATC and they uh, try to problem solve. They ask if they can talk to an engineer. So there's engineers on um, available. They, uh, they didn't actually, I'm sorry. So they called operations and operations said like, oh, we'll get you an engineer to help you. Um, a few in the air. Yeah, well, right, but oh they can help God. them problem solve. It's basically, right. yeah, it's good that they're available, right? But they're available for, um, yeah, like problem solving. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, the maintenance person starts, uh, like, comes on the line, asks how we can help them. Now, the master caution light illuminates. The captain says to the engineer, right, the um, who has just arrived um, on the phone. The cooling ventilation fan lights are on. So he, of all of the things that are happening, that's like that's the thing what he that shows. he, yeah, that's what he says. That's bizarre. The flight engineer says, can you confirm that the pressurization panel is set to auto? He, the captain, doesn't respond to that. And says, where are my cooling, uh, my cooling circuit breakers? Like, because it has a circuit system, a circuit board on the aircraft. And he thinks that the light he had asked about, maybe it's blew a uh, circuit. Mm. And that's the last thing he ever said. Because when that uh, engineer fixed the door the night before and had to do the pressurization check, to make sure the door was fixed he has to pressurize the plane on the ground in order to do that he has to switch the system that automatically pressurizes the plane to manual to force it to happen on the ground and he didn't switch it back and so it was the engineer well so the truth is i mean there's never well sometimes there is but there's very rarely like a true bad guy in these stories right 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 right. because there's a tremendous amount of redundancy and checking and all of these things that everybody does so it's in order to turn it back to auto that would be leaving it the way he found it but the pilots there's three times three times before takeoff where the um the pilots are supposed to notice that and they didn't and so the uh that sound that burr sound that is the um the takeoff configuration warning so on the ground it's the takeoff configuration warning but they use the identical sound for the plane isn't pressurized in the air oh my god and that, uh, you know, obviously, I believe they've changed that because you just shouldn't use the same sound. Same sound, right, for emergency right. situations. Right. So um, the air conditioners are connected to the system that, like, brings air into the plane, right? That brings fresh air into the plane. So that's why those alarms are going off. That's why those lights were illuminating, rather. Okay. So the... Oh, I skipped the page. So... The captain had gotten out of his seat to check for the circuit breakers. So the reason they're having a hard time communicating is because they're confused. Because at 10,000 feet, 
hypoxia starts to set in, right? Um, and hypoxia, you know, is a lack of oxygen in the air that you're breathing, right? right? Um, I think it's kind of interesting that apparently there is exactly as much, like the percentage of oxygen is the same, no matter how high up you go, but there's less air total. So um, I don't know if you've ever been to a place that was at high elevation. I mean, in Denver, like if I visit my aunt in Denver, um, I get like my nose bleeds and I feel tired and stuff like that. Right. Um, The... mm, different like levels of elevation will have different effects but 10,000 feet is where hypoxia really starts to set in and that's when the you know everything dropped everything started to happen but it's also when they started to feel the effects uh, the pilots so they're having a hard time communicating and like not asking the right questions and all of those things because hypoxia started to set in so do you the, think that's why the pilot said what he said when he reported to the engineer? Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. He just, okay. his, 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 you know, brilliant human mind, right. right. Is trying to function without oxygen. I was going to say it sounded real suspicious with that pilot, but right. I, that's, that makes sense. His brain like picked something could not, to yeah, right. could not communicate. And it's already a weird situation because there's no way of like, right. The FAA actually, I had no idea they did this, but they have a bunch of like informational materials that they put out and they, you know, hit on hypoxia with some frequency, right? Because it what matters. What is the FAA? Um, the mm, you testing me. The FAA is the Federal <laughs> Aviation Association Agency, Federal um, Aviation Agency. So it's okay. the like national okay. agency that. Um, like sets the rules for uh, planes and aircraft and how everybody conducts themselves and everything like that. Gotcha. Okay. And I assume they do other stuff. (laughs) That's what I'm aware of. (laughs) So the FAA has a bunch of um, materials that they put out about um, hypoxia and like different informational packets. And one of the things they focus on really heavily is that um, you really almost never know hypoxia is setting in because it's affecting your brain right right and there are special trainings that they provide or that other agencies provide that are like for people to recognize the signs of hypoxia in themselves Mm. um so they i'm gonna come back around to that remind me to come back around to the faa okay okay but um so that's the last communication from the plane, from the mm-hmm. um, captain or the, pi- the co-pilot. So the plane is on autopilot and has the destination punched in Athens. Mm-hmm. So it continues to climb up to 34,000 mm-hmm. feet and flies no. to Athens. <laughs> so as the plane um, is flying on its way to Athens um the engineer is obviously who who correctly identified the problem yeah but like just too late or maybe not just too late because again the pilots already were suffering from hypoxia but right he had correctly identified the problem and now he's like trying to communicate with them and like calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them and they're not responding no um the plane just like keeps going and obviously this part of the world so cyprus and athens are really quite close to one another right right so as the plane is going 
it crosses into um, Athens airspace, right? Or Greek airspace, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the um, like agents in Athens start to begin to try to contact the plane, they're not getting a response, and they're not getting a response, and they're not getting a response, and they're not getting a response. So they believe that they have a you know rogue plane. They don't know what's happening with this plane. Right. Especially so, so close to 9-11. I'm sure exactly. they're freaked out. No, absolutely. So they oh. call um, the, uh, the military, and the military scrambles two fighter jets up, right? Oh so these God. fighter jets go up. And they look into the cockpit and they can see the co-pilot just like uh, unconscious and passed out because, you know, eventually you will just pass out. Yeah. And eventually you will die. Right. So that that is event you can't live forever in that state. Um, right. So the um, in the cabin, the amount of oxygen that's available um, to the passengers is about 12. It's enough for about 12 minutes. And the reason why it's only about 12 minutes is because under normal circumstances, so say you're on a plane and that happens and there's like a, uh, your plane becomes depressurized for some reason, Mm -hmm. the pilot's going to go down to a breathable, breathable altitude. Right. So it's just enough for the pilot to be able to get down to an altitude where everyone can breathe. There's no way of putting enough oxygen on a plane for people to breathe indefinitely with those, you know, it's, it's not possible. Right. Sure. Yeah. So um, by that time, they, you know, everybody in the cabin, everybody on the plane is passed out. So they can't see the pilot. The assumption is, is that the pilot had gotten out of his seat to check the circuit breaker and then had passed down on the floor. Oh. So the pilots are looking in. Um, they have the information from the original flight engineer, so they are pretty sure that exactly what has happened has happened. You know, they recognize the plane is not pressurized and the, uh, everybody on board has passed out. So they continue to like trail the plane. Um, one of the fighter jets flies behind him and one of them flies beside up um, next to the um, where the pilot hopefully would be able to see them. Gotcha. Nobody says this outright, but I'm pretty sure that the fighter pilot flying behind him is flying behind him to shoot the plane down. Like, oh. I'm not, no one said that outright, but I'm like 90% sure that's the case, right? I don't know. Right. Like, why would you fly behind it? Yeah. I just, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. And if anybody works, for the Greek, uh, like military, <laughs> or if anybody just knows that that's yeah, not that's the your case, secret. tell me. But yeah, tell us your secrets. <laughs> but um, so the plane. Uh, what happens if you're on autopilot and you have the lo- the destination plugged in? Um, but then you don't do anything once the once you get there. Um, right. The plane will just you know go around it'll go into like a holding pattern and we'll just like fly in circles over the destination oh my god so the plane is doing that right it's just flying in circles at altitude over and over and over right so an hour and 40 minutes or so after the plane took off the fighter pilots are still on the plane one of them is up by the cockpit the other is behind it Mm -hmm. they see a guy come Mm. into the cockpit and sit down in the captain's seat not a pilot (gasps) 
So this guy comes up and like sits down in the seat and, you know, takes hold of the controls. The pilot or the pilot of fighter jet is like waving at him, trying to get his attention. Right. And again, I got mixed reports. Some people said that he waved briefly and some people said he never noticed it. So it's Mm. not clear to me which actually happened. This guy sits down at 1149. At 11.50, engine one flames out. No. At 11.54, the CVR recorded five mayday calls, <gasps> but they were on the old radio setting. So he's sending a call to Cyprus, and right. they can't hear it. That's It's out no, of range. It's too far. Oh, my God. At 12... I mean, he didn't know. No, no. The at twelve, uh, engine two flames out. Mm. So this man who's sitting in the pilot seat while everybody else is knocked out or dead, um, his name is uh, Andreas, and Andreas is a flight attendant for Helios. Okay. And Andreas is actually a pilot. Uh, he has a pilot's uh, commercial pilot's license in oh. the UK, where he's, but both engines have flamed out, and no. so the plane starts to descend, and he, I'm gonna cry, he's steered it away from all the populated areas. Oh my gosh! And it it crashed, and um, everybody on board was killed. Oh. But th- there's almost no question that he saved people's lives. Yeah, 100%. And um, the truth is they, they like, ran um, – they actually, like, ran simulations, the um, – whatever the investigative body is yeah. for that covers, I guess, Greece or Cyprus or the EU or whoever investigates um, these over there, like, studied oh. his background and his experience – because they were interested to see if he, like, would have been capable, right? Because yeah. whenever they investigate a plane crash, like, they look at all of the factors and try to see, like, any place that they can make improvements, right? They yeah. go through it obsessively. And so if they had determined that he could have somehow, like, landed the plane, then they would have, um, uh, you know, th- thought, okay, well, if that's possible, how, what would we have to change to make that possible for him? Gotcha. Um, but they basically determined that it, it just was impossible with, at that point, there's just nothing oh that um, could have made it possible for him to land the plane safely. Does anybody have any theories about why he was awake? That's something I, I really, really searched for it. So the plane is at 34,000 feet um the effects of hypoxia are so different for everybody okay there's almost no question so to be clear he was absolutely suffering from hypoxia there's no question right that he had the effects of hypoxia sure but if you figure i I, so mount everest is twenty nine thousand feet and some people have climbed mount everest without oxygen yeah. So I, I don't understand it well. And maybe somebody does. Maybe because uh, it'd be better to have someone who knows more about it tell us the story. But yeah. <laughs> um, the for whatever reason, whatever happened, he was able to 
get up and get into the pilot seat. It, again, there's. Oh my god. Yeah. There's, I wonder if he yeah. knew, like, if he had that training and he knew. I mean, obviously, it would be a different. I don't know, but yeah. like maybe he just woke up and just was like, I gotta fly this plane, yeah, not into buildings, right? Right, exactly. He did know some things, right? Because he's a flight attendant who, I mean, he sat down in the cockpit and like tried to call Mayday, so he knew right. something of what was going on. Um, it's very hard to know why he woke up why he woke up when he did yeah anything like that but um essentially so the things that contributed to the crash right uh the main thing was that they they just failed to notice that the thing that's always set to auto had been set to manual they they didn't notice they have checks where they're meant to notice it but they are (laughs) i mean but he obviously does just make mistakes. But sure, yeah. The other thing with Helios, again, and again, I, so I've flown, you know, Ryanair and, like, Wizz Air and all these, like, inexpensive airlines. Yeah. We fly them because they're affordable, right? Like, exactly. that's yeah. the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that all airlines are vulnerable to cutting corners, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, having their pilots just flying, 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 or cutting corners on training or, um, you know, things like that. Stay tuned for more after the break. Well, I mean, even the air... um like the airplane manufacturers like did i was i wasn't sure when to bring like when an appropriate time would to be bring this up like this episode or a different one but did you read the article i mean there were a million about boeing but the the like most recent one that i read about boeing where they were building the planes and they were like shoving just random shit into the like pieces were breaking off and they were just like building it anyways and just Whoa. like just really irresponsible um because of their like um like not requirements but their um what's the word um like deadlines and like they were just trying to save money and trying to meet deadlines and like all this stuff and it really like they they really compromised a lot of aircrafts because of it like i'll have to send you the article if you didn't see it it was it was like a it was horrifying and appalling to read just the the lack of empathy or the lack of understanding of what you're doing like you're building an airplane that is going to fly millions of miles yeah with millions of people that you cannot just you cannot cut corners on that like there it's there's zero you know yeah i mean that's horrifying because yeah it yeah so like so 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 much energy in aviation goes into safety right like there's just this immense immense amount of attention that's paid to um making planes as safe as possible and if you are an engineer right like if you are an aircraft engineer you you know the stories about crashes that were caused by mistakes that engineers made or 
Like you, I think the truth is that the majority of people want to do it right. But Mm. we'll definitely have um, stories where we talk about mistakes that were made by, you know, just totally unwitting people, right? But they make the mistakes because they're encouraged to cut corners, because the airline industry is cheap and cruel often. Not always. Right, and makes so much money. Exactly, exactly. Um, Not Helios, I guess, but the... but the reality is that the pressure, like the financial pressure on like people who work for airlines on the industry is so, 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 so intense. Mm. And it's so difficult to, I don't know, it's just so, so, so difficult to resist those problems or something in the last episode that I I started to say and didn't finish. And it was like yeah. when they're making the decision, when when um, Taco and Ten, when the pilots are making the decision as to whether or not to land in the canal or on the levee. Yeah. I started to say, but didn't finish. Like, I really wonder if one of the things running through their mind was the levee, like the plane will survive the levee. If we survive, the plane will also survive. Whereas if we land in the canal, only right. we're going to survive. And I don't know that he was thinking that. I never heard him say that. Yeah. But I wonder, because that's how you're taught to think, right? Right, exactly. Like, save the aircraft. Right. Like, on top of, of saving these, you know, 100 plus people. I mean, not for Carlos. There was, like, what, 30? But right. still, oh. I mean, saving the people, you're also thinking about saving yeah like and there's just no comparison there right there just really isn't and I mean I could talk about that all day and I will say to all of the Boeing lawyers listening we recognize this is all allegedly and we don't know if it was even you (laughs) we're gonna check it out we're gonna right but if I mean it the article I found it it was um it's called it's from the New York Times and it's Boeing 737 Max is a saga of capitalism gone awry yeah the third i can't of uh, like literally of course it's the right. max of course it is yeah. because we are going to talk about like we are going to air your day laundry on that one but wing because yeah. that is horrifying it's a horrifying yes. betrayal of like the trust that pilots and crews and passengers put in you yes. it's that's exactly it yes. yeah yeah and this, so the, like the Helios accident itself, I could see somebody being like, well, you know, it, it was caused by an oversight. It was, you know, pilot error or whatever. And that's true. That is true. But I also know that the like engineer working the overnight shift to fix this plane, I highly doubt that he was paid fairly. I just doubt right. it. I really do. Right. Because right. I worked with pilots, captains of planes who made like $25,000 a year. Like right. I just, I, I don't know. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe Greece has, or not Greece, pardon me. Pardon me. Anybody who's Cypriot <laughs> listening to this, definitely pardon me. It's going to murder you. I, I am so sorry. <laughs> Cyprus is an independent nation, a glorious republic unto itself. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, no beef. No No. Hate. No, all the love. No, only only love. The nation, love. the Republic of the Cyprus. The Republic of Cyprus. <laughs> maybe that. Yeah, maybe Cyprus has really amazing um, 
uh, like maybe Cyprus has really good, you know, job protections and maybe that's not the case. But it's yeah. where my mind goes because I've watched the airline industry like screw over so many of its employees. So yeah. I don't trust that. And I just think that that model, which is just like push, 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 get as li- as much as you can from your employees and give them as little as possible. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I just, that's where my mind goes. So yeah, no, it, absolutely. Yeah. And it will, I mean, there's proof, like it's not, yeah. It's there's it's not like you're just assuming something is bad or that the process is bad or whatever or you know, but there's I mean hard proof and unfortunately like human life is at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. So remember how I said the FAA ha- creates those little like documents where they give you yes. information and try to educate the people because it's a mm. federal agency. Yeah. So in their document about hypoxia, the last thing they say on it, so the last little paragraph, um, is entitled Smoking and Altitude. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. A Western state pilot, which, I mean, the vagueness of that, a Western state pilot. <laughs> like, we're not going to point anybody right, out. Right, right. We're not <laughs> We're not pointing fingers. It could be California. It could be uh, Arizona. It could be Washington. Yeah. It could be it could be a whole lot. A Western state pilot. Oh my god. Lived to tell about this one. <gasps> Cruising at thirteen thousand five hundred feet over mountainous terrain in his light oh. single aircraft. He took a deep drag on his cigarette and Jeez. next remembered being in a screaming dive with just enough <gasps> altitude left to pull out. That was an exclamation point at the end of that. That's what you mean. That deep drag replaced precious oxygen in his brain with carbon monoxide, and he passed out. But he landed it, man. I wish they landed. I wish they gave me details so that I could find who out who this Western pilot is because it sounds like a good story. (laughs) If you're listening, Western pilot, please, please tell us. We need to know. Yes, I need to know because like, and did you did you quit smoking after that? Right. And if you did, why? No. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But um, yeah. So I thought I would throw, I mean, besides the fact that it's a great little tale and I oh love the way gosh. government documents are written. It's just yes. so funny to Oh me. my God, amazing. Um, Western. Pilot. I mean, they're not going <laughs> to, right. people will show up at his door. Like, you know, totally. The United States. Tell us the story. But right. Um, so I thought I'd throw in a happy one yeah. where the guy lives. Yeah. But, oh thank god yeah oh that is that poor guy he was just on the friggin' plane by himself and just that. saved everybody he could he did. but not himself right or maybe his family or or was he he was a, a flight attendant on the flight he was a flight attendant or he was working just a random flight. he was a flight attendant oh, he was working he was yeah. okay okay so oh my god right what did did it say anything about the jets like i can't I can't imagine watching something oh, like that. No, I can't either. I don't know if they're, um, I, I don't know the end of, of that. I suspect that they probably were helpful in that they could describe the precise location of the crash. Right, right, right. But I, I can't Jeez. imagine. I did notice something that stood out to me. So again, going back to Andreas, like the mm-hmm. one of the heroes of this sad story, um, yeah. something that stood out to me was I, when I was researching, I saw that as kind of a throwaway line 
at the end, you know, that hmm. he steered, you know, clear of um, any residential areas. And I was like, wait, that was the thing I told you I was trying to verify because it was only in oh. one description and none of the other like explanations of the flight that I read touched on that. Yeah. And I thought that's kind of weird. That is and weird. so when I was looking at contemporary stories, like stories that were written in 2005, Mm-hmm. They made a point of describing that. They made a point of saying that. And that was before they even had the the information that he had called out Maydays, right? But he hadn't been on the right channel. And it just stands out to me. Like, I don't know how that got lost. The way that yeah. the story... So this is the one I told you that I thought it was less sad than it was. I thought that the plane didn't mm-hmm. pressurize everybody passed out and then the plane crashed like I didn't realize all of these there was like a yeah yeah, like an end hero right exactly and I I feel like that sucks so I I am grateful and yeah this I I, you know I absolutely want you know Andreas to be honored and respected and appreciated I mean that's and I just like I hope his family knows yeah what a hero he was I mean right like even just surviving enough to like wake up and then you know like there must have been something in him to keep fighting until like literally the very end right and I I think about because his he must have been confused right like I try to think his his mind isn't working the way like our minds are working right now and I just think about I'm going back to that concept of training I mean the fact Mm -hmm. that he like snapped into action in that state is just incredible right yeah it's incredible yeah Yeah. um yeah yeah so you know well good job thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the pod crashed this episode is dedicated to the memory of those lost on Helios 522 and to the heroism and bravery displayed by the crew, the passengers, the air traffic control workers, everyone involved. Um, we have fewer mistakes, but one very, very big mistake this week. Um, the correct flight number is Helios 522. And I repeatedly say throughout the episode, uh, Helios 552, I wrote it down wrong. Um, So that is my mistake. Uh, We'll try to correct it, or we'll make sure rather that it's correct in the materials, the title, everything like that. Um, We also failed to mention the name of the airport in Cyprus that Flight 522 departed from. It's the Larnaca Airport. If you noticed anything else, um, please let us know. We'd love to correct it uh, in next week's episode. Um, If you have any comments, criticism, kind uh, words, we'd love to hear from you. We made a Patreon. Um, It's patreon.com slash thepodcrashed. That's uh, patreon.com slash T-H-E-P-O-D-C-R-A-S-H-E-D. Uh, We do have some fun rewards, including um, having your name in the credits and 
uh, monthly AMAs, live streams with us. The best thing that you could do for us if you enjoy the podcast is share with your friends and family, your coworkers, whoever you think might enjoy it. We obviously hope to share this with as many people as possible. Thank you so, so much for listening and thank you for your support.